0818-715-815. Hello, good afternoon, and you're very welcome to Liveline. People should remember the name Slavomir Gierlowski, but unfortunately they don't. Uh, his name should be as notorious in Ireland as the likes of Larry Murphy um, because uh, Slavomir Gierlowski was is one of the most uh, savage serial sex offenders ever to emerge in Ireland. And uh, last week, uh, last Monday, he was in court again uh, appealing uh, part of a sentence which was rejected. Uh, he was um, He's attacked five women in South Dublin. He was on the rampage for nearly four or five years. They were savage, premeditated uh, sexual attacks. Uh, we'll talk to Ruth in a sec, uh, Ruth Maxwell, who's been highlighting this case. She was one of his victims, highlighting this case and uh, making sure his this man's name and this man's sentence is fully, fully uh, abided by. Um, but I want to talk to Keith because Keith has never spoken before publicly. But Keith, your wife was also a victim of Gerlowski. Yes, Joe. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Yes, no, my wife was attacked. Um, I, I believe that she was the second victim um, okay. of Vladimir's. So we went through a trial about three to four years later, and it came that there wasn't enough evidence. So the other women that were attacked, the mm -hmm. evidence... Obviously, the, the detectives gathered more evidence and that's how he was convicted of my wife's attack. And do you want to tell us your your memory of what happened to, you, to your wife? Yes, I, I remember it like yesterday. Um, my wife had just had a, a newborn baby and he was 11 weeks old and I was working from home mm -hmm. and she just said, look, can I stay in for an hour if she goes out for a walk? And the the, the park was next door to our house. Okay. And I said, yes. And she rang me about 25 minutes later, screaming on the phone saying she's been attacked, told me the location. So I actually, I jumped into our car and I had to leave the baby locked in the house and went next door and I found her with about six or eight people around her and mm. she was on all fours and she just looked up at me when I pulled up and she was covered in blood. And what, what had happened? What time of day or night was this, Keith? It was about 11 o'clock in the morning. About okay. quarter wow. past 11 in the morning. Broad she was daylight. out for a walk. Broad, Broad daylight. daylight. Yeah. South Dublin, and okay. South Dublin, yes, in, in Ballymount Park there. Okay. And she was out, so there'd be a huge amount of walkers there. It's it's a small little park within one area. There's only one way in of the estate and one way out. It's okay. all, There's only about a thousand houses there locally, and everybody knows, you know, nearly yeah. everybody. So she went out for a walk, and he tried to attack her with a flex and tried to strangle her. Okay. So the, the two of them ended up on the ground. He got back up, tried to put the flex over her neck, couldn't get it over. Which is a, ca a cable tie, is it? What was he using? No, it was like a flex off okay. a cable. Okay, 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 oh my God. And I actually had it in my hand when, because when, one of one of the um, the walker boy, passer boys, handed it to me and said, that's what he tried to attack her with, tried to put her around the neck and tie it. So they ended up, Shanna, or my wife ended up on her back yeah. and Vladimir was trying to choke her down with his hands and she could feel herself passing out and screaming and then he just, he probably hit her about 10 or 15 times 
Now, I've been in court with this guy a number of times, and mm-hmm. he's a big, big man. I'm six foot, and he'd be probably about six foot four, and about 18 stone of pure athleticism. A yeah. big, big guy. So he just he probably hit her about 12 or 15 times, fractured her jaw, fractured her nose, burst her two eyes, burst her nose, and burst her lips. My God. It was like somebody painted her face and her T-shirt she had on at the time red. And was she able to tell you, obviously you're, you're trying to get help in an ambulance, but was she able to tell you what happened? Yes, she could tell me everything. She even described um, Vladimir to exactly how he looks like. Um, a, a foreign look about him, kind of a yellow skin, skinhead, big, big muscly guy. Um, definitely, definitely goes to the gym and works out. Mm. And it was, it's, it's, description of what she described is exactly the way I seen him in court. And Keith, the the, the aftermath of, of this, your wife was obviously taken to hospital. She was taken to hospital. I was taken to hospital. I had swabs of my mouth and my fingers and so on. The police mm. had to swab me and do everything to me. They say because there is domestics that can happen and you can yeah, just... Yeah send your wife into the park and that's, that's what they said some people do so um, we had to go through all that and she didn't sleep properly or eat for days and turned into weeks and months until we just had to sell the house and um, move move out where she grew up and where our whole family is from Because of the attack? Yeah And he made Keith broad daylight 11 o'clock in the morning and uh, your wife was able to discuss. So he made no attempt to hide himself, did he? No. Well, well, where he was actually in the park, I'm not from the area, so yeah. I, I don't know that the park well, but after the attack in the next couple of days, I kind of had a walk around and he was in, there was the only bushes, there was a big cavity in these bushes okay. for where you could walk into. Obviously, young children were you know, drinking or whatever there. Oh, you yeah. could see a few cans of beer and it's where they used to hang out, you yeah. know, secretly, but that's where he was. He was waiting inside there, I'd say, to, to grab my wife, strangle her, and bring her into the bushes, but fortunately he failed. And the guardy obviously kept in touch with you. Yeah, they did. The Texas were there. Now, there must have been about eight to ten police cars. There was a helicopter. There was a tent put over where she was attacked. It was it was the biggest crime scenes I've ever seen. But to be involved in it is, is very, you know, realistic. And Keith, I presume the reason why the guardy took it because he had he had attacked before and he attacked again, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, I believe my wife was the second victim. What we've been told by the detectives, and he went on and carried out another three violent attacks. Now he tried to tried to pull my wife's trousers down a few times, and fortunately enough, he didn't manage. Yeah, yeah. But he's a dangerous, dangerous man. Yes, and what was it when you went into court last Monday, Keith? I was in court with the detectives. My my wife can't can't do it anymore because she'll just bring it all back and she yeah. won't be able to sleep or eat again. Um, so I went in to represent my wife, and he wouldn't. He doesn't even look anywhere. He just he just looks and just what he's. I think he picks a spot in the wall, just looks at it. Yeah. But when he was handed, he was handed a uh, mandatory life sentence of fifteen years, and then, but all because he's reincarnated so for so long. There, there's. He needs to be rehabilitated. So he was four and a half years from this and three and a half years. I don't don't understand it. Sure, this is system, but there's law enforcement that you know to try to rehabilitate prisoners. So he got away with a, a number of years, nine years in total. 
But, but he didn't bat an eyelid. When he got the, the, the life sentence and the, the went down to the six, he didn't even blink. Oh, God. Now, he would be the longest-serving prisoner. He is currently the longest, the prisoner with the longest sentence in the Irish prison system. Yeah. Because even though people would not be familiar, I think, with his name, the, the, the way they should be. Now, I know Ruth Maxwell is on the line. Ruth, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe, and good afternoon, Keith. And Ruth, how are you? Wow, it is just very tough listening to one of the other women's experiences being told through through the husband, and you just sound so loving, so caring, so supportive. And I really, really hope that she can find some peace after last week. I really, really do. She, she couldn't have anybody better than you standing by her and supporting her. Thank you. And Ruth, um, do you were you a victim of Slavomir Gilowski? Um We have a photograph of him. It's, it's not. It's 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 in the Irish Times, and we asked for their permission to to get it out there again. Do do you were you a victim before or after Keith's wife? Do you know Ruth? Um, I was the final victim. Joe. You were the final victim. Okay. Yeah. Uh, th- th- this is what uh, tragically for you, but. Uh, for the case made made a difference. Do you want to tell us, Ruth, your 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 um, choice about how much detail you want to go in? But was it was it very similar to what happened to Keith's wife? It well, oh dear, I I wouldn't have suffered the same injuries. Okay. Um, I in my eyes here, I am going. Oh my God, his poor wife. They sound absolutely horrific way way more intense than, than what I suffered um, although I know my, my physical injuries are for the rest of my life they're, they're never mm-hmm. never going to get any better but I was just walking down to catch the Lewis to go to work and what time? Was, it was about 20 to 7 in the morning okay. and it was sunny I was yeah. listening to music daylight um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just I'll never forget what a beautiful day it was and I was passing through a smaller pedestrian area and I looked to the side I was passing a white van and I did get a shudder, but I said to myself, no, I've seen that before, it's all right. And I continued on, but I looked behind me again as I was going a bit further down okay. and nothing. i say I looked twice or three times and nothing. And next thing, the arms came around me. There was a knife to my um, chin on my right side, so mm-hmm. I was incapacitated on that side, and then my left-hand side, he had a cloth in his hand. But I had my thumb up under my handbag on my shoulder, okay. so he couldn't get that arm properly around me. I was using my elbow to, to fend him off. Okay. And um, the it went on like that for a few minutes, and I, I just knew, I was like, oh, shit, this is serious. Oh, apologies yeah. for cursing. Yeah, yeah. But um, and then he moved the the knife from my chin right down to my throat, and I just knew, I just knew. So I pulled my pulled my from under my my handbag and yeah. just grabbed the blade of the knife with my fingers and pulled it as hard as I could down and started screaming at the top of my voice. And as I turned around to him, he just turned and ran off. And did he say anything to you? Nothing. Nothing, and his vacant stare was was yeah. just empty. There was nothing, and but off he, he, ran. he came at you from behind. 
Yeah, I would think probably more to the side. Okay. It was a little um, And he wasn't, he wasn't wearing a face covering or... No, nothing, nothing. And it was only afterwards that it had transpired that um, he had cable ties and duct tape at the scene. Yeah. And yes, there, there was the discussion whether I, I was meant to survive that attack or not. Um, but it's not where, where I like to bring my head. Yeah, I don't, like to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. to think, no, I got okay, away. Okay, so he's attacked you from behind. It's uh, broad daylight, early in the morning. You're walking to the Lewis. Was there anyone around, Ruth? No, no. So I had to run through this shorter laneway um, out onto a main road and there was nobody stopping. Um, so I had to start waving my hands and screaming. Mm. And a lovely guy called Paul pulled over and got out and he was walking towards me. But as he was, there was a van that stopped and a guy opened the door and said, I'm just going around the roundabout, I'll be around to you now. And he came around and he got out and he thought that Paul was my boyfriend and he was actually oh. beat, uh, beat me up. So, was, yeah. yeah, I actually received a, a lovely message from Greg the other day right. just saying right. that if only I was 10 minutes earlier, he said, I'll be haunted for the rest of my life over that. I said, you can't. I said, because if you were 10 minutes earlier, you wouldn't have been there for me when you were. So, so the two men came to your aid and yeah. where, where is uh, Girotsky at this stage? Is he back in his van and gone? He's back in the van and gone. And when yeah. I was in court looking at the CCTV, I could actually see the whole thing transpire as to where, where he went. And just thinking, wow, I, I was in the hospital then and my life had just changed forever. Your life has changed forever. Yeah, like when I was running down that laneway after I'd pulled the knife, because I had to pull it so hard. Yeah. Um, like it, it kind of went off my face and my eyes. So when I was running down that laneway with my right hand, I was feeling my neck and my chin and my eye. I didn't know had he cut my neck or my face, but I yeah. didn't particularly care because it's only, you know, it's, it's only whatever my face and all that. It wouldn't have bothered me if I had been scarred or anything like that. I'm not that kind of person. But um, I, so I had no idea, like the extent of. of yeah. What he had done, I just knew that my my hand was in serious trouble, and it was projectile blood coming out everywhere. And yeah, and the guardie came quickly, I presume, given the name. Yeah, but an ambulance had come already, oh, great. so okay. I had gone off to to the hospital, and then the the guardie came, and then they arrived at the hospital detectives, and I could hear one a lovely woman on the phone beside me, obviously getting an update from the scene and I could hear cable ties and duct tape and I broke down, absolutely broke down. Cause you it do. was kind of the realisation of, of what was going to happen. Yeah. But then you, you, you managed, uh, if my memory is correct for the evidence, you managed to, to give details to the Gardaí which about the van. Yes, I knew it was a white van and I had seen it several times. Okay. So the detectives then went door to door right. and it turned out as well that one of the houses, the cottages along there, had CCTV on the outside. So they were able to follow the van the whole way along. Wasn't that brilliant? parked up right outside his house. Yeah. And I remember lived, sitting in court he, that he, day he, alone he, and crying. He lived in Drimna. Yes, Galtimore Road. A suburban life in Drimna. Yeah. And if yeah. my, again, correct me if I'm wrong, um, he he simply would disappear from the family home 
and tell his wife or whatever that he was going back to Poland when he was committing these crimes, but he was actually renting a room, yeah, renting a room apparently in a hotel. And I've go, never and, heard any and, of that. And going in, well, anyway, that's that's one piece I heard. Uh, well, it's 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 an incredible scenario, an incredible scenario. So how was it? He was they. You managed. You said you'd spotted the van before, which is a brilliant yeah. piece of observation. Yeah, well, quite van. Yeah, and, and, and you t- you knew it was the same van. Yeah. Yeah, no, the neighbours had seen a van before and actually a neighbour had a partial reg or something. Oh, brilliant. Um, so it it really was the van that that would have led to yeah. to finding him. And obviously then there was DNA samples at the scene which then matched his DNA to all of the, the previous four attacks. And, and but, to, to, back, to back to Keith, it's, uh, isn't Keith, isn't that how the circle was completed that when they got DNA from the van... They were able to match the DNA to to whatever was found near your wife's attack. Yes, there was partial fingerprints on the flex, the cable flex, and there was semen found where he attacked my wife in the bushes. So he was obviously in there himself, looking to waiting there for a victim, and there was fingerprints found on his cigarette box left at the scene also. My God. And Ruth, did you see this man in court? Oh, yeah. 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 And what what was his demeanour? Well, obviously, the, during the trial in 2018, I mean, he just... He kind of looked handsome. He looked tanned and toned. And I hadn't realised he was so tall. I'm not great with heights, but I hadn't realised that. But I knew, like, he was mm. fit and he was military trained. And... He just looked, just looked like somebody who was just a normal everyday person who yeah. hadn't a care in the world sitting there in the box. But obviously that changed then when I saw him just at the end of May this year for the final part of the appeal, where he just looked the complete opposite. Yeah. So, you know, Keith and his his wife wouldn't have seen what he looked like in 2018 and to see what he looks like now, that mm. really helped me an awful lot. It really did. In what way, Ruth? Because he looks like the system is breaking him, that he is he is really doing time for his, his crimes now, the seriousness of them. Mm. It's, I had thought in 2018, because obviously I had lost everything, yeah. that I thought to myself, look at that guy, like his shirt is crisp, He's good shoes on. Yeah. He's access to all supports and services and hears me with nothing. But now I look and I go, okay, mm-hmm. he he has access to, to this stuff, but none of it will ever make a difference. So that's why I'd be more interested in rehabilitation programs for victims. Yeah. And Ruth, what, to go back to your own injuries on the day, what were the injuries after you managed to escape? Three of my fingers, the tendons were severed on on three of them. And then two of them would have ruptured. There was a pulley gone and another. I mean, the the, the details of your fingers are are so complex. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I had them reattached. Now, I've had very bad problems presently with with my hand and my arm. It's extremely painful. Um, But I know a lot about it and how to help myself. Um, 
like it's going to be like that for the rest of my life. So I have to find my own means of pain management. But my GP did say, well, okay, we might consider referring you back and maybe there's a surgery you could have. And I just went, no, no, because that brings me completely back to where I can't manage myself at all. And Mm. I can't go back into that. I'd rather try lots of different holistic things that, you know, that can ease it. And you heard Keith there. I did. Yeah, I'm, I'm still in total I know, shock. I know, so, you know? And it's the first time he's he's his he's, his family has actually spoken about this. But Ruth, um, Keith said himself and his wife and his young family had to move because of this. Even though this man is going to be in prison for a long time, what effect did it have on you? You've mentioned the the life changing injuries he he inflicted on your hand, for example, with the knife. But how how are you psychologically and mentally after this savage attack? Well, for me, it's a case of each day at a time because I I can't get away from it. Like I could be doing something, let's say I could be in in the sea swimming and I'm thinking, oh, I can forget about it now for a little while. I could be up a mountain, I could be doing something. But I can't because then when I have to, to get out or to come down or to try and tie my laces, or to try and do anything, the physical side. So there's always one prominently there at the forefront, either the physical or the psychological. There's no yeah. breathing space for me within it. There's none. And did you did you move house? I did, yeah. Uh, obviously, the, the first year for me was well, one of the, the worst years I've ever had in my life, but I'll, I'll be getting to that, to that further down the line. Mm. But... I did um, go back to, to County Longford and then I, I eventually moved here to Sligo. Wanted yeah. a whole new story. And Ruth, yourself, and I know Keith wants to support you, you want to start or publicise this campaign you to make sure that when this man, and I know you, you said to us in your communication that, that you, you mentioned Larry Morphy and you've, you've read about Larry Morphy's crimes and I know there's no hierarchy but you say this man's name should be as well known in Ireland as Larry Morphy because what he did in the hierarchy of a savage uh, crimes which Larry Morphy carried out uh, is is uh, beyond, beyond comprehensible. You want to make sure he's deported back to Poland? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like there's there's still a, a gap there of 2060 or 2010 to 2015 yeah. where nobody knows has he attacked, nobody knows has he even murdered. We have no idea. Um, but yes, under that, um, the Deportation Act, um, I think it's part, uh, section 20, part B, um, status story instrument 548, mm-hmm. that yes, that can be done. And I have heard people say, oh, that doesn't exist. And yes, it does. Like When I talk about this, I am talking about somebody who has zero tolerance, zero. So I have said from the very beginning, I remember talking to Sean O'Rourke back in 2018 about it, Mm -hmm. that under that act, what I would like, and I do know that all of the victims and their families, and I know Keith would agree with me on this. You can only deport somebody for a period of time out of an EU member state. So what I had said back in 2017, I would like to see him deported, and for the period of time, I would like it to be the collective sentencing that he's given at that final trial. 
okay. which now turns out to be 34.5 years. So wow. he'll be 59, maybe a little earlier, when he's due for release. And I would like to see the guards put that forward to the Justice Department, that he's deported them for 34.5 years. And what are, what are the chances of, of a, a timeline like that being put on his deportation? You don't well, know. That's well, that's why you want to speak up, isn't it? That's that's the reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not it's not asking to have him barred for life because that's not possible. But it, but it's giving a specific time. But he's so young. When he was in his twenties, when these attacks took place, and as you say, there's five of them in South Dublin in the one area, the one general area. Um, I don't know, Keith. Do you know if the guard? Do you believe there was more at this stage? Well, they they haven't discussed anything. Um, it's it's very private. When you're with the detectives, they can't even mention one other case except yeah, okay, for your own. I understand that, yeah. And did they keep in touch? With, even though they felt that the, when when your wife was savagely attacked, that it wasn't they couldn't get him um, instantly. But did did they keep in touch with you over the years? No, no. We got a, a victim impact to stay you've been a victim of crime, etc., etc., and that was it. And then we did go through a trial, and then about four or five years later, we just got a call out of the blue, the state, that we've gathered enough evidence, and the evidence found for my wife's victim was the exact same DNA match, um, and then we had to start it all over again. So it was... 18 months later and that was cancelled and it was a year later and that was cancelled. Because he was appealing. He was appealing all the time He appealed everything all. He's going to appeal the sentence he got last Monday also. And his his, his appeal has already, one of his appeals has already uh, been been knocked back. Um, uh, Ruth or Keith, did you meet, and I don't want much detail, but did, did you meet any of the other victims and their families, Ruth? Well, two were... Okay. The, in my case, um, the trial, there were the three of us together. So, yes, I would have met okay. both of those victims and their parents. And like that's part of what has given me my drive as well, mm. is all of these women are so dignified, so brave and courageous, and so young. Yeah. Whereas, for me, I'm at a different stage. Like, listening to Keith talk about his wife and them having a young baby. Yeah. I don't know how I would have managed if I had have had young children. It wouldn't have been physically possible for me. No, really we were wouldn't. only married 10 months before this had happened. We were 24, the both of us. We were with each other since we were 16, got married at 24, had a baby then 10, 10 months, nine, 10, nine months later, yeah. and then it happened. And he attacked, he attacked your wife 11 weeks. Was the baby 11 weeks old? 11 weeks old, yeah. My oldest son now yeah. is just going on 13 and he was 11, 11 weeks okay. at the time. And you'd support Keith, Ruth uh, Keith in what she's saying about deport this man oh, yes, in definitely. perpetuity. He'll, he'll, be a young, he'll be a young man when he comes out. I know it's a long sentence but he will be a young man when he comes out and the worry is that the people who dealt with the case and obviously know the severity of it and the horror of it and the judge articulated that as a, the, the, one of the most savage cases of not the most savage case she had ever uh, dealt with yeah, um, but did. but time will pass um, 
and the, there is a ch- well, there is a chance he can appeal for parole or whatever, or get off. Appealing, good behaviour, etc. He will the sentence will be reduced and reduced, and they'll try to rehabilitate him. And yes, it'd be unfortunately the way the system is in this country is it's it's on the side of the prisoners. Hmm. And did, it, insofar as you know, Ruth, did any of his family ever turn up in court? In the 2018 trial, yes. Um, his partner would have been there but stopped coming towards the end. Yeah. And I know I read places that his, his partner and his family and everything are standing by him, but I'm not entirely I'm sure that that's true. Yeah. And his young children, I mean, they're almost teenagers now. I guess. So, yeah. And Keith, um, last Monday when you, when you had any support visible anyway in court last no. week? No, okay. No, we went through a jury about 18 months ago and yeah. his brother was there, his mother and father was there, his partner was not there um, and this time there was not one person there with him except for the interpreter, that was it. And when he got the sentence, he didn't bat an eyelid, he didn't move. Yeah. It was nothing to him. And Keith, did he when he when he attacked your wife? Did he speak at all? Does she remember? No, didn't 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 mention one word to her. Didn't say anything. Again, in broad daylight, this this so premeditated. Summer's morning. And how is your wife now, Keith? Still, still ah, traumatized. She's okay. Yeah. Still traumatized, obviously. Yeah, but um, she'll never go out for a walk again on her own. She goes to the gym now. That the, when she's around people. Yeah. So she's just very cautious of where she she always goes now on her own. Okay, and those and people who very can... protective over our children as well. Yeah, like our children now can't go out on their own at all. She drops them and collects them everywhere. She just thinks life is too precious. And and Keith, um, the people that came to your wife's aid that day, have you? Did you ever find out who they were? Oh, we did. Yes, and we good. thanked them. They well were done, locals well. from the area, and they were very, very good. And they went through weeks of this trial as well, and you yeah. know, just moving away from their house and families, and in court, obviously, every day. It was a, it is a big deal for everybody involved. Yeah. That's not particularly involved in the case. It's even, you know, it, it does get a grip on everybody. Yeah. And Ruth, you, you, you've, unless I'm reading this wrong, you, you did say this man should be as well known as Larry Morphy because of the, the savagery of his crimes. I don't recall that, but okay. it's kind of clear that I would presume so. Yeah, yeah. Worse, okay. But the, the, when you look back at the appeals, like the, the reason the other two trials would have been so slow and transpiring and reaching a conclusion with sentencing was because the appeal in the 2018 case, which was mine and two other women, was obstructing. The, they couldn't sentence on the previous case because they were waiting for the outcome of the appeal. So when I addressed the Law Reform Commission conference in 2019, I had said, can appeals not be um, kind of brought back in cases like this? So they don't obstruct that maybe a year instead of, you know, two years or so. But now there is like six or seven new judges in the appeals court now. But, you know, that could have have stopped so much so much trauma with and his, the whole and court his appeals experience. his appeals so far have been unanimously rejected well the last the one wasn't particularly because okay. he he was stating that in order for him to have the 22 and a half years reduced down to 18 and a half was provided he integrated with the services okay um 
he doesn't have to integrate with the services. So that's mm-hmm. the part that he did win. But then in my eyes, he's he's maintaining his innocence there while arguing those four years. But if you're going up against DNA evidence, DNA evidence trumps that. So I thought there was a bit of a discrepancy there. I wasn't happy with that when I heard it. Okay. And that was in the court. Okay. Well, I hope given given what happened last Monday and more uh, action by the state in keeping this man behind bars, um, that you can get some solace uh, from that, Ruth. And likewise, Keith, with you, uh, Ruth and your family, and Keith, your wife and uh, your family as well. Thank thank you both for. And uh, can speak. I just say, of course, Ruth. Keith, um, Joe has my details. If you if you'd like to take them, and we could maybe talk. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. You were two. You you were the members of two incredible groups. Ruth, uh, being a victim, and your courage, and what you've gone through, and the people who helped you on the day as well. I think you named it Greg and Paul. Well done, uh, Keith. Your wife, who is still still so traumatized, but as Ruth put it much better than I I would, um, that to have uh, the support and the love that your wife has as as uh, enunciated by you is is a help but still does not still does not in any way dilute the savagery of this man Slavomir uh, Girlowski and uh, let's keep that name for, to the forefront for many many years to come so he doesn't but Ruth what if he, if he asked to have his sentence uh, carried out in Poland how would you react no okay for the simple reason that we know where he is. We know exactly where he is. You yeah, know, would point, he yeah. would he serve thirty four yeah, yeah. and a half years over yeah. there in Poland? I doubt it. Um, I don't know too much about the Polish system. I know can, it can be more extreme than here, but at least we know exactly where he is and he's off the street. Okay. So no, no transfer. No, and it happened recently in the Limerick case where a man who killed another man was, without the family being told, very shortly after his conviction, was sent back to England to complete his crime, Keith, to complete his time. Keith, um, how would you feel if they, if they, well, you won't be told, but if you discovered that he was being allowed to serve a sentence in Poland? No, I prefer, I would prefer that he, he spent, spends the sentence here um, obviously, it's it's a huge sum um, of finance to go through for the taxpayer, but it, I'd be just I just feel a lot more confident with the the Irish system. Yeah, and we're smaller, a much smaller country than Poland population wise. So he will stay on the radar. I hope, in terms of yeah. uh, the, the prison and and also in terms of. Uh, media scrutiny, which can be very, very helpful in this case. Ruth, again, thank you so much, Ruth Maxwell. And Keith, kind regards to you and your family. And Ruth, kind regards to you and your family as well. Joe at rte.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. And Joe at RT.ie. Uh, Ante Shkojo. Ante, good afternoon. What happened? It was Thursday night, the main road in Ballyfermot in Dublin, very, very busy. Uh, around nine o'clock, you were near the Tesco, another very busy spot there beside yeah. the senior college and the wonderful library um, te- and the Rock College as well, a wonderful place. What what happened, Ante? Well, uh, Thursday, the 13th of October, last Thursday, I was just going from work. And yeah. on the, uh, just after a roundabout before the big Tesco, 
I passed a, a big group of teenagers from okay. the years of 13 to 17 years of age. And there was like uh, from t- uh, 10 to 15 of them. I, I passed the whole group. Yeah. And uh, uh, after a while, I heard a, a big laughter off of them. And one of them came came to my right side. He says a couple of times, buddy, buddy, buddy. I tried to ignore him. And then, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I felt a punch into, into the back of my head. And I was, I was thinking, what's happening now? And uh, all of a sudden, like series of punches. And uh, uh, followed by buddy, buddy, uh, to the back, to the side of my head. To the front, mm-hmm. I, uh, I went into the backyard of one of my of the houses uh, from my right. Uh, sorry, from my on my left hand side. Okay. Uh, and I lean against the car to protect my the back of my head and the back side, and I raised my hands uh, up to protect my face. And after uh, and I screamed. After about five to ten minutes, they they were they were gone, and I, I was so shocked. I was thinking I was thinking I'm gonna die at that, that place at that spot. Uh, without without no reason, no arguments, just just for pure uh, for pure fun. It, it was utter violence. And how many and in this? Uh, how many in this gang, Ante? It was about from ten to fifteen of them. And what age were they? From thirteen to seventeen years of age. And were they men, women, boys, well, teenagers? They, they were boys. They were boys, uh, followed by three girls, teenagers, all of them. And they were in the one gang, you reckon? They were, yeah, I'd reckon. And did the girls participate in the attack? Uh, I don't think so, but I, I haven't seen because I, I was uh, focused on protecting my my life, my uh, my body. Yeah. And when they came up to you, they came up from behind. From behind, indeed. Yeah. And you're you're in your early thirties, so so you're up uh, twice their age in that sense, I suspect. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And what, what they start saying to you, buddy, buddy. Yeah, that, that's it. Like just just buddy, and uh, start laughing, and uh, like all of a sudden, like pun- punches all over my face. So it was just it was just an unprovoked attack. They didn't say give us money, give us your phone, give us your bike. Give they they just said, buddy, buddy, and they started attacking you for fun. Yeah, for fun, just just uh, for no reason. And did anyone? I know you went into what the, the where there was a car parked. Yeah. And did did anyone anyone hear the kerfuffle? Anyone hear the? Uh, the, the, the did yeah. One elderly gentleman uh, from across the road. He's uh, after. After the uh, the attack finished, uh, I came to him. I asked where the guard station he says, "Are you okay?" I heard the screams. I didn't know. Uh, I wasn't sure what what was happening. Uh, I said, "Yeah, I was attacked. I was, I was punched all over the face." And uh, he, he was kind enough to point me into, into the direction of guard station to report the the attack. So you reported the attack almost immediately. I did indeed, indeed, yeah. And you went up to the guard station, which on Drumfin Road, which is about a fifteen minute walk. That's correct, yeah. So you would have been there fairly shortly after the attack? Indeed, yeah. Now, I know you can't, in, in any guard says you can't predict it's, it's busy times or slack times or whatever, but did the guard, you know, this has just happened to me 15 minutes ago? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I went to the guard station. I, I said, is there a guard patrols on the street? Because I've, yeah. I've just been attacked. Uh, I, I don't feel safe. And uh, they've taken my statement. Uh, they they've asked why what happened, and uh, they took a photos of my injuries. Mm-hmm. And what were your injuries? Uh, my injuries were bruises under under my uh, right eye, bruises on my on the top of my head, on the forehead. Oh, so they and, did uh, they in, did punch you in the face? They did in, indeed, yeah. God, has anything like and, this uh, has anything like this ever happened before? Uh, it it has. Uh, I, I'm I'm hoping something will be will be done about it because I'm moving out of the area. I, I'm afraid for my safety. 
And you say here in your contact with us, the government need to do something about crime culture in Ballyfermot. Exactly, yeah. Okay, aunties. Uh, by the way, auntie, did, were they all were they all visible? Like none of them wore balaclavas or hoodies or. Uh, they they co- had hoodies, uh, but they uh, were were uh, they covering their faces? Uh, they were not covering their faces. Okay. Yeah. Is there any CCTV around? Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, Gardy that I've spoken to, uh, she said that, that CCTV was uh, just near the church, uh, on the on the yeah. right hand side. I wonder what Tesco's have seen. Well, the Guardian, that's the first thing they do now. Stay with us a second. By the way, you didn't have a bike, which I mentioned a bike or a mobile phone that they might have been. Uh, not that that dilutes what happened to you. But Jamie, Jamie McElwain, what happened? When, when did the attack happen on you, Jamie? Yeah, hi, Joe. So last night I was in, uh, I was at work. I work in a student accommodation centre in the north inner city. Okay. And I was at work. And we had a couple of cases of bikes being stolen over the last few days and, and weeks um, in my centre. But um, last night we had we had a few of our residents notify us at the reception that there was a few um, under eighteen people who were on the premises who were at the bike racks looking to steal bikes. Mm-hmm. So we were alerted of that. They left the premises, but then they came back a few hours, a few about an hour later on, and they came back, and they just. They, I, I asked them to leave the premises, and they, they started confronting me. Obviously, they they pulled uh, a metal bar from their bike. They had a, they pulled the bike seat off their bike and yeah. were threatening me with that. And obviously, they had they had an angle grinder to cut the an angle uh, an angle grinder an angle grinder yeah uh, kind of a handheld battery operated yeah, angle yeah. grinder which they they threatened me with as well for about two minutes. So you what, what did you say to them, Jamie? I asked them just to leave the premises. Yeah, you know, okay. I, we, we have these, they're obviously teenagers. Right. We're, we're a college accommodation. We don't have teenagers. Um, they were in, they were wearing similar to what um, was said, black hoodies, hoods up. Um, so they were obviously a bit suspicious looking. So I, I said, look, we have you some video. We've called the guards. Okay. Uh, you just need to leave the premises. And they said? Um, and they, they began to confront me and said, we're not going anywhere. We're not, we're not leaving. We um so we got them I got them to back up towards the gate. So we, we had people trying to come in and out. We had our residents. We had a few cars trying to get in, but they were blocking. So they um they 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 were kind of holding up the street as well. Um, Gardy. Um no the the, the Gardy didn't arrive for maybe an hour, but the the people the the we had we had residents who were trying to gain access on on via. The pedestrian entrance by a by a car, and they wouldn't. They were they were holding up maybe the street as well, and not allowing people to enter. And like, how did you feel taking on three of them? One of them, which is a well known weapon now, they whip out the this this the saddle of the of the uh, bike, and they have a handle and a saddle. It's a pretty pretty formidable weapon. Um, mm-hmm. How did you feel taking the three of them on? I think the adrenaline kind of got me in the moment. It wasn't really, wasn't really thinking. I'm not going to lie, but um, but still saying that it was, it was quite, it was quite scary to take them on. Um, they're they're younger than me, but I'm not the tallest person ever for an 18 year old. So I was quite, <laughs> I was. They were about, you know, they were kind of towering over me, and they were, you know, they were confronting me in a way that, you know, it was scary. But they had an angle grinder. Was it turned on at any stage, Jamie? It was the end. It was held up okay. to me and was, was turned on. 
And those angle grinders, a battery operator, all you do is press a button. It's not like in the old days where you'd have to pull a long lead and get a good go at it, but they just press a button. Exactly, yeah. And did they rob any bikes? Did they steal um, they any bikes? Not yesterday, no. They have, we're presuming that the people who stole bikes were the same people. Um, okay. So they haven't, they didn't, we prevented them from taking them yesterday, but they have stolen two bikes over the last week from our premises. Um, but Ante, um, did you say you're going to try and move out of Ballyfermot? Yeah, indeed, because uh, I'm afraid for my safety. I can't, I can't uh, go through the same way on, on my way back to home because uh, I can be attacked uh, again and again because uh, not, nothing, nothing yet has happened. Uh, no, there's, no, there's been a series of violences. Uh, I'm not the only case over there. There's, like I said, there's a crime culture over there. And uh, the, unfortunately, teenagers are protected by the law while, while I'm not protected by the law. And it. And when you told the guardie that they were teenagers, did the guardie say anything? They they just said that they'll check the cameras because they have the cameras near uh, near the okay. church, and they'll, they'll let me know what will they do in the following days. But so far, I haven't had a reply from the guardie. Okay. Okay. Well, mind yourself, Ante. Please do. And uh, but as you say, you were just going around a very busy spot, and twelve to thirteen of them, uh, ten to fifteen of them. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, 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 pounced on you for no reason. Jamie also, Jamie McElwain, thanks indeed. And that's Ante uh, Skojo. Uh, thank, thank you both. Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Okay, I, did, I was unaware that the church, uh, I presume regardless of the nomination, that churches as buildings are excluded from getting financial aid from the state for their energy bills. Um, and what people think of that. I know John O'Donovan. John, good afternoon. Afternoon, Joe. How are you? You're not happy about this. Why? The church being excluded. Why? I, I'm not indeed because I believe it, it's discrimination, blatant discrimination. And we also had segregation onto it. Because in any job, we'll say RT, we'll say any job, like if everyone in the building got a raise or got an extra week's holidays and one employee was left out, I mean, would they not feel uh, excluded? So if everyone in the country, every household, every business, every hotel, every bar, every retail openness is getting help with their energy bills, draw, why are the Catholic churches, and all churches, and not just in the Catholic churches, there's 4,000 churches in the country, right? Mm-hmm. There's 1,087 of those Catholic churches. But I'm including mosques, I'm including everyone in that. And I want to know, I'm calling publicly on Michal Martin, Leo Baratta and Eamon Ryan to address this immediately because it's blatant discrimination. There's 153,000 people go to Mass every weekend, that's Saturday and Sunday, right? There's 78.3% of practicing Catholics in the country who are being discriminated against. They want those people to go into cold churches, especially elderly people going into churches and sitting inside a for Mass or whatever service they're going in there for sure. And mm. I think it's outrageous that everyone in the country is getting helped over the energy crisis and the churches are not. Across the water, they're helping them out, but not here. Well, across the water, the, the, I was going to say the Queen, the King is the head of the Church of England. It is integrated in that sense into the state. Well, maybe, maybe we need um, a king here, the way things are going. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I'll be honest with you, I'm disgusted over this thing. We see the tragedy up in Donegal, down the way those priests performed those duties. They were absolutely outstanding. Like, and th- that church now will get no help either. 
I mean, it's a disgrace to the community. It's pure segregation. That's well, is what there, it is. Well, is, is there a possibility that um, churches, for example, could could have, given that the congregations are smaller, could they, could they, do you have to heat the whole church? Maybe that's what I'm saying is, can churches be sectioned off? Well, you see, the thing is, I mean, you, they, like, it tells on yourself, the amount of time allotted every week for people to be in the building, there's no need to have it heated constantly, like, but especially for the masses and funerals and stuff like that and weddings, obviously, and baptisms and stuff like that. But I mean, like, to, to segregate one part of society, like, I, I just don't know, is it this anti-Christian, anti-Catholicism that seems to be very prevalent within Dalian at the moment, right through the spectrum of politics up there? I'm not just picking any lefties out here, Joe. Right through the parties, there seems to be... Uh, well, sir, there is, in fairness, there is a, chepar- a separation of church and state. The, 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 the special role of the Catholic Church as enshrined in the Constitution was removed nearly 50 years ago from our Constitution. But you see, that, that, well, that, that's what we say, the type of decisions governments are making, legislating and stuff. But if you're going no, to that, have a, that decision was a referendum. The people made that decision. Yeah, but if you're, if you're going to have a system where people are going to be helped with their energy crisis, right, all households, all businesses, whatever, and you're going to exclude uh, one lot from that, I mean, which is all churches, I said, including mosques, Presbyterians, Union, right across the board. I mean, that's blatant discrimination. Joe. And our churches, John, insofar as you know, are they are they the only building only buildings that are excluded? As far as I know, I mean that that's all. I think everyone else is getting something towards their their, their energy bill. But the churches, they come in, and I mean, I you don't know the churches over the years. You have come in from a lot of bashing. But I mean, I'm going to on some cases. But I mean, they've done a hell of a lot of good too. Like I mean, have, do they, have they ever heard of Nano Nagel, who 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 taught the, the poor wretches in Cork? I mean, when there was nothing there for them, right? Uh, the same with um, Edmund Rice. Mm-hmm. I mean, he founded Christian Brothers, the Presentation Brothers. I mean, there's a huge debt on uh, the religious orders. And, this, and I think to blatantly discriminate against them, it's, it's disgraceful. Like, it's segregation, and it, it's the worst I've ever seen. Now, uh, you see, some churches are very... very are, they, are they renowned for their architect? I know the ones in Donegal, I know the ones you're talking about are, are, are particularly unique. Mm-hmm. I know Christ the King and Turner's Cross in Cork is a remarkable building, a truly, mm-hmm. truly remarkable church. It's uh, it's world world class in terms of its uh, of its architecture. Um, maybe Christ the King in in Cabaret and Dublin, but can you can you name many churches that that are not just simply big big uh, basilicas? If you follow me, that they very very high seed they weren't built for energy efficiency well, they I were mean, built bishop, to, they were built to the glory of god well, bishop, Lu- bishop lucy was the bishop of cork here i mean he built a lot of churches which were smaller churches they wouldn't be the like the saint francis now or like saint Pindas cathedral and cork and that's a huge building but i mean like there were smaller churches right i mean there's three churches in my parish you now right and they're, they're they're handy enough size like i mean that's it wouldn't cost an absolute fortune to heat what should you, Well, maybe, why why not use one of the churches for, if there's three in your parish, John, would you not say, well, we concentrate on heating one of them rather than three of them? But then you see, like, I mean, that means people have to travel and not everyone has access to travel. Maybe people's mobility mightn't be great, Joe. If you're living, we say, pretty close to the church, a lot of elderly people that you can walk to the church. Now, uh, they have what they call... 
family of parishes, no, at this stage, no, because with the shortage of vocations, uh, Fintan Gavin, the new Bishop of Cork, and Ross, like, has brought that in so that priests will be sharing parishes where they'll be saying mass, they may yeah. be covering three parishes and stuff like that. But I think to, be, to blatantly ignore all churches, again, as I say, and all faiths on this, when everyone else is being bailed out, it's pure discrimination and segregation. James is on the line. 0818 Joe at is the text number. James, you're listening to John. James and John. John James, go ahead. You're listening to the hi, word. Hi, you're listening to the word of John. Do you believe, does James believe the word of John? John's word is always good, but uh, he's a philosopher. But he, his point is totally accurate, or his points are totally accurate. I read recently where Aer Lingus got 200 million during the pandemic uh, in support. They're not even an Irish company. I know, I, in some ways, it might not be related, but in a lot of ways, some mm. big companies got a lot of money. I don't think the priests or the clergy or the, um, the, the, the other religions got any money. They didn't qualify for anything during the pandemic. Their collections were non-existent. Yes, true. I don't know where their income was coming from, so they survived on absolutely bread <laughs> and water. You know, it just seems so unf- so imbalanced. Yeah. I mean, if they, if they should they deserve some help, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's fashionable for the government to support them. That's that's their problem. The government yeah. are, they, but are the politician. Part, but James, is is a part of the problem that a church, for example, each day, if it ha- if it ha- has a daily mass, I know it's there might be a daily adoration now because of the shortage of priests. But um, to heat a church for a forty-five minute service is an extraordinarily uh, reckless waste of money. Do you follow me? Like you, you have to have you'd have to have the heating on some of those churches two or three hours beforehand to get a bit yeah, of a bit of heat cases. in it. Maybe twice a week, Joe. They'd only be expecting it on for masses and for if there's a funeral or something like that. They wouldn't want it on all the time. Mm. Like, I mean, I know they're not they're not Eamon Ryan's type of church. No, 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 sorry, hurry, don't name any no. individual. No, no, but what yeah. I'm saying is that notion of, 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 of um, insulating and all that, they're not that type of building. They weren't yeah. built for that reason. But there would yeah. only be very limited time they would need the... the the heating on. Well, the bottom line, Joe, is I, I, I don't think anyone in the country would have a problem, right, any taxpayer, with all churches, and I include all faiths in that, being helped out here. And remember when the 2024 local elections had come, and 2025, for the Saturday night masses and all the Sunday masses, Joe, where will you find the politicians canvassing? Outside the church. Outside <laughs> the church. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Okay, okay. I'm trying to put the other side. Reynard, Reynard, good afternoon. Hiya, Joe. How are you doing? Good. You're Thanks, listening Joe. to James and John. Yes. And your point, and please. I, I, and I, I was listening to your argument there, and I just thought, uh, you know, that um, that argument that you made there, um, I wouldn't necessarily agree with you. Know, that if, uh, you know, if, if companies are being supported and individuals mm-hmm. are being supported, why not the church you know, and, and any church? That matter, you know, so. so, so, and where are you where are you from originally, Rehnar? Can I ask? In other words, is there a comparison with any other country? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm from Germany originally. And people pay, don't they? Well, you you can opt to pay a proportion yeah. of your salary to the church, isn't that correct? Yeah, yeah, they they, they take about yeah, yeah, 
And if you're a member of the Treasury Register and you, um, it's taken off your salary, yeah. Okay, and do you know if they're being helped in the current crisis, cost of living crisis? No, I, I don't. Um, no, I don't. Uh, I, I just thought that, you know, that, that if, if, if the government helps organisations and okay. businesses and individuals, you know, why not, why not the churches? Another thing, Joe, which like has been lost is the very fact during the pandemic the churches they could not have been forced to close. You couldn't force the fate of the country to shut down. The churches were obliged and they went along and they closed the churches. Now a lot of people didn't agree with it. But the thing is they went along with it and they facilitated the government. And after doing that now this is their things. I would call still and repeat what I said well ago, Mihar Martin Lever I can annoy to look at this. Look mm-hmm. at this again. Okay, okay, okay. Stay, no stay, stay with us. Stay with us. Stay with us. Quick break. Joe at RT.ie. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. Joe Duffy. Talk to Joe on 0818-715-815. By the way, people are asking me about this church in Cork I mentioned. It's called the Church of Christ the King. It's in Turner's Cross uh, in Cork. I don't know. Are you familiar with it, John? I am indeed. Yeah. Actually, when it was designed at the time, it yeah. was very controversial because it oh, would was be. Oh, it? it? was. Oh, yeah. It would be put on as kind of um, not the normal run of the mill. And uh, that was too modern looking, you know. But uh, as time moved on and generations moved on, it is now regarded, as you quite rightly said, like in, as a except, exceptional architecture. Yeah, I've tweeted photographs of it. I've tweeted the um, the during the break there the um, at your old live line uh, photographs of it. It truly is a remarkable building and remarkable for its time. I think it was built in the nineteen thirties. However, John, this is what I uh, when I when I looked up the website of the Church of Christ the King in Turner's Cross and Cork, probably the most remarkable piece of ecclesiastical architecture in Ireland. Um, it says mass times. Mass, sorry, masses will be live streamed at the following times. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday at 10. Now, I don't know if this this COVID or whatever. The weekend masses are six, the vigil mass on Saturday and 10 and 12 on Sunday. So I know the church should be there and I agree, you know, people go in for the adoration or whatever or just for... Mm-hmm. Uh, five or ten minutes. It's there's nothing nicer. Uh, quiet contemplation, and there's very yep. few, very few places you can do that in. But given the fact that the the church, and please take this the right way, um, or the way I mean, the church for most of the week is practically empty. Yeah, the, the, well, there's, there's morning masses as well, and you'll find the handy amount of people in my local parishes. Anyway, a lot of the elderly obviously they come in, and maybe people retired. But um, the fact, I mean, is that if they're idle, they're still open for worship. I mean, if, if one penitent comes in, and one individual or more than one, I mean, the, God's house is never too Yeah, but you're not. Yeah, but, but the problem, the problem is. It's not God's house. It's God's basilica. It's much. It's a thousand times bigger than a house if you if you take in the height of a church. Well, you see, when people talk about the church, though, they forget one thing: right? the church is a building. It's a sacred building, right? Okay. But the real church are the people. And if the people don't go into the churches, the churches will close and will be demolished and apartment blocks will be built or something. The people are the church and the people are being disenfranchised now by everyone else being built out by the churches. Yeah. That's my uh, argument, in you? 
Okay, the, the, the Christ, you're, you're right. Christ the King's Church was commissioned in 1927, mm-hmm. nearly 100 years ago, John. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, looks, it looks incredibly modern. It was, as I say, for the time, I mean, it was pretty controversial. Like, I mean, when, it, when you read up the history of it, more into it, now when you're finished the programme, you might do a bit of research on it, but it was regarded as being controversial architecture for mm-hmm. the time, you know. And it's, um, it was, the architect was Barry Bourne, apparently, and the sculptor was John Storrs. And the, the, uh, the Bishop of Cork at the time, John, in 1927, was who? Oh, Bishop Carlin, I think, was it? Yeah, well done. Well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you cut me down. No, I did. I was, I was nearly going to offer you a prize, I said. If you did. <laughs> well done. Daniel Collaghan, uh, Bishop right. of Cork in 19, 1927. Okay. Are there many more churches in Cork that have the same... I know everyone has their favourite church, but are there many, many more churches that have the same architectural... Um, Brilliance as Turner's Cross. Um, yeah, the, the Holy Ghost in Wilton there. Um, that would have been, at the time, again, some people found that controversial. They thought it was maybe a bit over the top, you know what I mean? But again, as time moved on, people got used to it and generations mm-hmm. accepted it. And, you know, it's a beautiful building as well. And obviously you've got St. Finbass Cathedral, you know what I mean? Which yeah, yeah. all the tourists are there on a daily basis, you know? Stay with us, stay with us. Right. Uh, Ma- Marion Basto, Marion, you're listening to John and James. Hello, Joe, yes, I listen to John there. I just, uh, just like to comment that for the short time that people are in the church for Mass or to light a candle or say a private prayer or whatever, you, do, like, you don't need that much heat. Find an extra layer, gloves, a hat, an extra cardigan inside your jacket and just get on with your prayers. I think they're, they're fussing about nothing. And it'd be more on the line to worry about giving the poor priests um, a bit more money to live and mm. dress themselves and feed themselves, etc. So you were saying put, put on an extra anorak or an extra... Yeah, put on an extra jacket, yeah. Well, you see, Joe, if you boil it down, right, I mean, the mm. very fact is I keep using this argument now, the same. Why is everyone else bailed out about the churches, right? That's the bottom line. It's not about putting on extra hats or scarves or coats or, or, or boots or whatever, like, I mean, or bringing a hot water bottle with you into the church or something. Well, it's no, the very fact, extreme, a hot it's water the, bottle. A, but may, maybe in 10 or 15 years' time, the economy will have come around. I don't know. I'm of an age that I won't maybe be around then. But maybe things will get better and maybe people will start going back to the church again. I mean, there was a time here when, when the mm-hmm. young Catholics are not, not so young fell away and then when the great emigration of the Polish and the Eastern European people came here, the churches were full every Sunday and they were all young people. So it's not to say it won't happen again. We can recover. We always recover. But there's a lot of young people too, Irish people going to Mass as well and and the sacraments. Yeah, but are are they whinging about the cold? But you see, the thing is, it's not whinging about the court. It's the very fact that there was a decision made by the government to exclude churches. Yeah, well, well I, I still say that you can heat the church some other time. It's only five, whatever, three to five months of the year that it could be really cold. But I think the most important thing is to get, look after the priests. But I guarantee you, if, if you went into your local, I'm not going to give many free publicity here, any major supermarket, and they turned off all the heating... You wouldn't be the first to complain probably to the manager that the store well, is no, I, I, 
I have news for you. In the biggest supermarkets around, the heating in the shops, unless it's minus four, which is not very often in this island, their heating is never on. Are you serious? How do you know I that, Marion? I know that because I've been involved in that side of retail. Okay. There's no heating on because there can't be because it'll counteract the frozen food stores oh, and all excellent. that kind of yeah, stuff. Well spotted, and, you, yeah. and you see staff in some of these shops, okay, it's, it's cool, but they're sitting at their uh, chairs yeah, with a, with wrapped a, up. Yeah. With a now, don't they haven't seen that. Some of them with a sleeveless anorak on to keep themselves. Yeah, I noticed that, to yeah. To keep their backs warm, yeah. Yeah. Stay there, Marion. Peter, Peter by, the, by the way, you mentioned the, the beautiful, beautiful church in Creasler, which has been catapulted into our eternal memory because of the Creasler disaster. Um, that was, the, the, there's seven churches in uh, Donegal. They're, they're known as the Magnificent Seven Donegal Churches. And they were designed by Lee McCormick, who died in 19... I, guess he, I know he was born in 1916, I remember that. But he, he designed a church in Milford, 1961, Morlock, 64, uh, Desert Egni in 60, 64 as well, Bort in 67, Chrysler in 71, Glenties in 74, and Dunamore Presbyterian Church in 1977. And he was regarded as one of the greatest contemporary church George uh, uh, Architects. Uh, quickly to Peter O'Reilly. Peter, Artane. Hello, Joe. Uh, Joe, just, I loved your idea for the smaller room to use instead of using a big church, which is possibly heat. We've done it in Artane. We have a small room that we've turned into an oratory with lovely religious iconography around it. And okay. the people are delighted. And we don't have to heat the church during the weekdays. And it works because church is impossible to heat. It's way too big, too tall. It's a nightmare. All the windows are just uh, the uh, stained glass that goes out the windows, out the door. That's a good point, yeah. And I am dealing with mainly eight-year-olds, and by God, they do complain about the cold. <laughs> and uh, and I how, guess, how long would it take Peter to um, heat up a church the size of Artane? That's the problem. It'd take around two hours of your to oh, do it properly. Wow. And someone calculated for what should pay for fifteen minutes uh, for an hour of heat last year you pay for 15 minutes yeah, this year. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. So impossible. So no, you can't. And it's had three separate heating systems in it. One dearer than the rest. None of them worked. And they must have spent around half a million putting in heating systems. And we still have one that doesn't work. It's like an industrial blower thing that doesn't oh, work. I know. Them, yeah. And is, is the ceiling um, insulated? No, it's so high up. That's the problem. They did a job. They cut it in half years ago. Okay, good but idea. They should, yeah. have they should have insulated. They should have lowered the ceiling. The ceiling is massively too high. I created a second floor. They did on the back, but not. Oh, the did they? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Extraordinary. But anyway, this works. It's a good idea. And just give you an example. The SV bill during the summer for that church for two months was two thousand euros. That's before the increases. Can before you imagine what's increase. coming our way in October? Oh, wow. wow. It's going to be. It'll it'll collapse a lot of churches, they say, eventually, and that they just won't be able to go on, and because it's just impossible. You couldn't keep up with that. Okay, Katrina, briefly, Katrina, tell us you. Yeah. Good yeah, afternoon, yeah, Joe. Yeah, you're yes, listening I, to John. Yeah. Yes, I I don't think uh, that um, the government should have to. Um, give money to the churches. I'm a pensioner too and I go to Mass and I don't find the churches, I think if you wear, um, most people wear in the wintertime wear a heavy coat and lots of times I see people taking their coats off. 
because of climate change and all of that. And I think for some de mass, it's not necessary to um, have the government paying to the churches. I prefer the money going to nursing homes, where it's much more important uh, to, to have them heated. But certainly for 40 minutes on average in the church, I don't think that's necessary. And I don't agree with John that the, the government have to step in there for okay. something like that. Okay, okay. Thanks indeed, John James and Peter, Marion uh, and Katrina. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Talk to Joe on 0818 715 815. Here, Dunn on Soundcheck. Gav was the BCO. Brandon Dunn, the producer. Ray Darcy's next. 0818-715-815. Stays open until 3.15pm. Or email joe at rte.ie.